Welcome to episode 50 of the Monday Morning Critic. Today we have Jason Warner-Smith. Jason's been on before. Jason, I know you are on the cast of the 100th Walking Dead episode. What's it mm -hmm. feel like to be on the 50th of the Monday Morning Critic? It's golden, my friend. It's golden. <laughs> you know what I wanted to talk about just quick, Jason? What, where do you, how often do you watch the, um, the, uh, the show... At, at, what's the place that you watch it with a lot of people? Um, it's in Georgia. Uh, the Ship and Anchor Pub. That's it. And, and how many people yeah. show up to that? Tell me what that's like. Well, when we have a you know a, 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 an announced event like we did for the season premiere and the mid season finale and all that stuff, it can be anywhere from fifty to you know sixty, maybe even a hundred people there that show up for those things. There's, there's a lot. Of, it's a lot of fun. And um, then on other nights, you know, we might just go down there and watch the thing, and there might be five or six people. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which yeah. is what a, a typical Sunday night at the pub is like. And uh, um, we decided that the uh, bartender there is a big fan, or the manager, I should say, one of the bartenders. And he, uh, I said, you know, well, if you guys are such big fans, you know, maybe we could get a group down here. And he's like, sure, man. So we did it, and it worked really well. A lot of people had a lot of fun. And, so we kept doing it. We did it a few times. So we did it for 7.13 and then 8.01 and 8.02 because a friend of mine, Adam Fristo, is the guy who plays Dean, which is the savior guy that peed his pants on purpose. I gotcha. He was in that. So we did a, a little get-together that night. It wasn't quite as big. And then we had one for 8.08. And we'll have one again on February 25th, plug, for episode 8.09. And how is it for you when, when they see you on on um, the screen? Or is it kind of like, you know, there he is, or, or you know, there's our there's our boy Jason? How does that work? Is that kind of um, <laughs> you just used it, to it by now? It, yeah, it's you know, and it's most people that are coming there. I know there's not a lot of fan boys and girls there. It's mostly friends and uh, family, and actually, I mean, some people that I knew hadn't seen since high school showed up. So that was kind of fun. It's it's kind of like uh, I have to spend most of the time walking around. From table to table, making sure I talk to everybody and uh, make sure everybody doesn't feel like they got left out. And we take some pictures and you know watch the show. It's kind of neat though because the whole bar just shuts up and most of the time. Now I did go up there. I don't know. It's like eight oh six or eight oh seven. I just went up there on my own, unannounced, and nobody knew who I was, and and um, except a few people that come every week. And it was like nobody was watching the show. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a bar. You know? There was a few people trying to watch, but nobody was trying to keep everybody quiet. We just and it got. And actually, I had to watch the TV with the uh, subtitles turned on so I could you know hear what people were saying. It was kind of funny. Yeah, and I, I see. You know, I know New York has a, a version of that. There's a bar in New York that does the same thing. So it's really nice to have that down south. And I yeah. think that's really great graceful of you to go over and thank people for coming down that's really a classy move um what's your drink oh, of choice when you're when you're at the, when you're at the bar um either it's either going to be the bullet rye on the rocks or a snake bite and a snake bite is a uh, half harp half uh strongbow cider or actually they make it with stella which is even better Ooh, very cool. Um, nice, neat. Yeah, and I, one of the things I really was curious about was one of the things we did not cover was you've been on a lot, many more um, 
of the comic scene, or the the Comic Con scene. I think you even went overseas for one of one of those. I, I'd be curious to yeah. hear how that's gone for you because I was, you know, I saw your pictures. I saw you know, it seemed like you had a blast. I did. It was a lot of fun. Um, I, my first one. Uh, it's what's what's nice is so far all the ones. Well, the first, I've been to three now, and the first two I went to, Josh Michael also came along. He plays Jared, mm. and um, we had a good time, and we went to our first one together, which was up in Roanoke, Virginia, and it was a tiny little con. It was the first time they'd ever had one, and it was a huge turnout. The hosts were just fantastic, treated us like kings, and, and went out and had dinner and just had a really nice time and a lot of fun, and then... Then uh, Josh and I got to go to England and do two in a row on two different weekends, one in Guildford and one in Gloucester, and that was a lot of fun. And I had five days off in between, so hung out in England and went to London and toured the country around the south and, and then did the other con and then came back to America. It was a lot of fun. How was the how was the um, the appreciation for for the Walking Dead um, overseas overseas? How is that? Oh, they love it. They just love it. They love it. It's really uh, it's a it's a different. Now I don't have a lot of experience with the, the conventions yet, but um, the, I've been to one more. I went up to Minneapolis to the um, Crypticon in Minneapolis back last month, and um, that was more like a, a three-day party. <laughs> we were all in one hotel, all the guests, all the you know, people that were um, there with booths, all the, uh, the you know, uh, the, the the fans, and they just party, all the fans, and they just party for three days straight, and nobody went anywhere because it was cold and snowing outside. Um, and it was, it was interesting. Cooper Andrews was on that one, Steve Coulter, Lou Temple from The Walking Dead, but then you've got a couple of Jason Voorhees uh, characters that you know that you never see their face. They're behind the mask, and then even Marky Ramone was there. Wow. Um, uh, Steve Kalansky, I think is his name, the, one of the guys from Broken Lizard that do Super Troopers movies and all those. He was there, and a bunch of other folks. But over in England, what was I found interesting is uh, the Star Wars movies are all shot over there. Or at least they were. I think right. they all still are. And the Harry Potter movies, and so you have and Game of Thrones, and so you have a lot of those folks over there as guests, and so I, I met, you know, the guy who plays the uh, Ice King, whatever, uh, you know, from Game of Thrones, cool guy. Oh, very cool. I met, yeah, but I mean, he's just just an actor like yeah. the rest of us. But right. what was most interesting is one of the guys that was there. I don't know. He's in his late sixties, early seventies. He was in the original Star Wars and was – or the second one, I think. The second one. Yeah, the second one. When they have the, the – there's like three or four bounty hunters standing around. One of them looks like he's a, a lizard man. And he was the man who was the lizard man inside the mask and the suit. And ever since then, basically all he does is stand-in work or costume work and – You'd never know know him, recognize him, and he just goes from convention to convention, sitting at a table, signing autographs with pictures of him as these different characters, and he's just a regular bloke from you know uh, middle class England, and he's just up there having a smoke and talking about all the movies he's been in, and it's just a lot of fun. Yeah, he's just a regular dude. Not even he's like I'm not an actor. I just put on the suit, I'm standing around. 
and now I'm here. <laughs> and we talked about we. He was actually someone I could talk to uh, Formula One about because nobody in America much watches that, but over there it's, it's like a passion. So we were talking about all the drivers and who we thought was going to win and and the, the new teams and all that. It was fun to actually have someone that actually knew what was going on. So yeah, I didn't know you were you're, so was, you're a Formula One guy. I didn't know that. I am. I've never actually been to a race, but I watch it on TV every weekend when it's on. I'd be curious to hear your take on if you've seen it, uh, Ron Howard's movie Rush. Oh, it was great. Yeah, I thought it was phenomenal. It's on my. I watch yeah. that movie regularly. Yeah, and that, that was a true story, huh? Yes, it is. Yes, it is about. Uh, uh, oh, now see, now I'm going to sound like a dummy. What's his name? I'm going to see his face. He got burned up. Um, Nicky Lauda. Yep. And when he got burned up, when he was battling against John Hunt back in 77. And, uh, yeah, that's back when Formula One is uh, – Ernest Hemingway said back in his day there are only three sports left, three real sports left, boxing, bullfighting – oh, no, mountain climbing, bullfighting, and an, an automobile racing or Formula One is what I think he said. Because every time you go to do that – you know there's a good chance that you might die that day. Mm. And that's that's a true sport to Ernest Hemingway. And so and back in up until about, you know, the late seventies when they started making changes, it was, you know, three three drivers on average died every year in that sport. I mean it's, it was insane. Jeez. And they made it much safer now. They've only had one driver die since ninety eight. In 98, they had two drivers die at one race, but nobody had died until two years ago when uh, a young guy named Jules Bianchi was a freak accident during a yellow flag, and he got hit in the head. He ran up under a tractor, so it was weird. But, yeah, it's much safer now. Yeah, and so, I mean, how are your I mean, your experiences sound like they're great and you're just starting. And for the life of me, I don't understand why you're not a regular on the Walker Stalker, but I guess that's a conversation for another day because I think you're well-received by fans. I think you're the guy that, you know, everyone adores that's a, that's a quote-unquote bad guy. I think Gavin is a, you know, just, just going into your last episode, you know, he didn't want to. He didn't want to kill anybody. He and he even pulled the old. Okay, I'm going to count to five, and you know, <laughs> you know, like your parents would do. You know, I'm going to count. To, mm-hmm. he, he, you can tell this guy's got a good heart. He's in a he's in a tough situation. So mm-hmm. I, I imagine when you're received by fans, that it's I don't know. It's a pretty positive experience for you. And it must be kind of unique for, for you know. You're just starting out in that scene, but it's got yeah. it's got to be pretty pretty special for you. It is. Um, I would. I, I have to admit, at the very first convention I went to, it was just trial by fire and, and this strange experience to have people wait in line, which they don't do a lot with me. But you know, sometimes there's people waiting in line. I'm not. I'm not a star of the show like Andy Lincoln or you know Norman Reedus, um, where they've got a six-hour line waiting to meet them. But to come up and hand me their hard-earned money so that I can scribble my name on a picture and hand it to him. And it just seemed ludicrous to me. But when I witnessed how happy it made them, and then to have their photo made or shake my hand or ask me questions or just stand there and talk, it just, you know, lit up their their face and made them very happy. And I was like, okay, I'm providing a service. It's a weird service, but it's a service. And if it makes them happy, great. And I'm having a good time meeting new folks. 
Yeah, and we've talked about your life before, and you've worked very hard to get where you where you are now. And I look at it this way: you know, there's pro, you, I know you're a big sports fan, but you know, I mean, it, it's like a pro athlete. Pro athletes make millions and millions of dollars for for one simple reason: they they've earned that, and and they have the right to get that. And I think that's kind of your position too. I mean, you've earned that; you've earned your way to be in this position. That's the way I look at it. I, I suppose so. It, it's just it's it again. Uh, you know, I, I poop and pee like everyone else and, you know, clean the toilets and take out the trash. And it just seems odd to me. But it, it, it is, you know, there are thousands of other actors who would you know, give their do it for free if they got the opportunity to be in the position that I'm in right now. And I know it won't last forever, but right now I'm having a good run and I'm going to enjoy the, the heck out of it while I can. Yeah, and you brought up uh, Joshua Michael, who is your friend in real life, and he mm-hmm. plays Jared on the show. He might have a record for having a gun pointed at his head the most times without being <laughs> shot. I mean, my God, like this guy has a gun pointed at his head, I think, every episode, and he's still alive. And he's, you know, and he doesn't give a crap. He doesn't care. No, he's got the smile that says, please shoot me, try it. And it's like huh? no one ever shoots him. And it's, yeah, that's the way. And then, Fuck if, it. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. If you have a moral compass on this show, that's a sure way, a one-way street to the grave. But uh, yeah. no, he's a great actor as well, and, and we've talked about him before. But um, there's so much I wanted to get to. Um, so talk to me about you know The Walking Dead. You had a nice scene in the pickup truck. You're kicking ass. I mean, a nice scene <laughs> where you're. It's just you on screen. Mm-hmm. Um, so to my two questions for you, Jason. How tough is it to have a scene like that where you know it's it's a pretty lengthy scene. I mean, you're. You're in front of I mean, you're, you're you're doing your thing, and and how how difficult is that for you? And how how much do you like being in that position, or not like being in that position? Oh no no no, um, yeah. There's been a lot of uh, I would say a, a 180. For instance, episode 801 this year um, was the first scene I had in The Walking Dead where I wasn't running my mouth the whole time. I had one little line, and and Negan was running his mouth the whole time, and I just had to stand there and look around. That's harder for me than having a bunch of lines, and I, I know people say that all the time, but it, you have it, you have there's days of that, and it can get boring, and you have to fight off a wandering mind and phoning it in and not doing the job. So since you don't have words to learn and things to say, you're still there. You're still acting. You're still performing. It's just in a much subtler, different way. You're not the center of attention. You're supporting what's going on, which is how most of us actors spend most of our time at, at my level. We're supporting actors. We just push the, the dialogue. We push the, the story along. The story's not about us. It's nice to finally have some of the story be about my character, which is what we, you know, I, I finally got in uh, The Walking Dead. Uh, and, uh, since each each scene that I've done, except that one, it, and, and also 805, the story wasn't about Gavin. It was about what was going on with the saviors and being trapped and Negan and all that business. So I like it. I like it better. I have a ton of lines. Yes. Gavin is a talker. Something about the saviors. They love to talk. 
Um, <laughs> but that speech was written well. It was written like a human being speaks. Mm. And I got the scripts in enough time to learn them. I'm also a good study. And Mike Satrazimus, uh, who directed that episode, was thrilled because we had we sh- we shot all of that in one night. So there was we ha- we had an hour and a half long episode, and we had to shoot it in nine days. I only worked one day on that episode. Wow! So everything from that me jumping up in the back of the truck to me punching Ezekiel in the face and walking off. <laughs> The sun was rising. When I was punching him in the face, the sun was peeking up. The sky was turning pink. Mm. And we started shooting the bit in the back of the pickup truck right after sunset. So we shot all night long. And Mike's like, I'm sorry. We're going to get down to the meaty part of the scene with you and Ezekiel last because that's the most important part. But we've got to get all the stunts done. We've got to do the blow up the fire thing. We have to crash the school bus. All that business and then we had to do all the business with Carol outside the gates with um, Nabilia. All that had to be shot. And we did all that in one night. And it was a long shoot. And you'll see some more of that coming up in February. We have another, It's still nighttime. Uh, but as you may have figured out, for season eight, it's a very short period of time strung out over many episodes. Mm. And um, I think everyone's kind of caught on to that now. It's still, it's like it's we're on day two now of All at War. So there's been one day, one night, one day, and now we're on the second night. If you're following the timeline at all, that's pretty. I don't think I'm spoiling anything. If you're paying attention, that's what you're seeing. Yeah, sure. So it, a long answer to your simple question. I love doing that sort of thing because I'm working. I'm not waiting. And I can, and the time flies by, and it's fun to do. Yeah, and and you know, I'm, I would be careful how I say this because I'm not trying to insult anyone. But when you give mm-hmm. your, when you're up there acting and doing your thing, you're very believable. Like there's never a second where I say, "My God, this 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 guy's not." Be-. You're you're totally believable. I'm oh, hook, line, and sinker. You. Yeah, I'm hook, line, and sinker into everything you're saying. There are other actors, whether it's on Walking Dead or other shows that. It seems forced. A lot of the parts they say are maybe it doesn't seem it's it's genuine or authentic. So my, my question in a long way is, um, has your vision for Gavin ever been different than what a writer has given you or what, you know, maybe a executive producer or whomever? Has it ever been different? Have you ever had a disagreement? Because I know in the news lately there's, you know, disagreements with writers and you hear stuff, but I'm not going to put you in a position to answer that. That's not fair to you. But um, has your vision ever been different than other people uh, for, for, for Gavin? A little bit, yes, in the beginning. And I, I can't I can't connect the dots 100%, but I, I have a very strong feeling that and this is, again, the, I played a character on multiple episodes of Rectify for two seasons, eight episodes. But it was such a, a different setup because every one of my scenes was a flashback and it didn't really have a timeline. So the character was pretty much locked in, and they wrote around that style. I think they started writing more toward the way I am. But for Gavin especially, they've done that. When we first, the very first day, which was episode 702, when you meet Ezekiel and the kingdom and the tiger and all that stuff, and Mm. they come out for their very first meeting with us in that parking lot, and 
Um, Richard's there, Benjamin's there, the whole gang's there setting up that bit. We did it three times. Um, after a couple of takes, Greg Nicotero was directing that episode. So I have to thank him because he is the one who was directing my first episode. So he was also responsible for me being hired, um, along with Scott Gimple in the casting, but he's also has final, you know, a final say like, yes, well, he's, he'll be good for this part. Um, he said, you know, that guy, do you watch the show, Jason? I'm like, yeah, uh, yes. He goes, okay, yeah. So you know that character, Simon? You know who that is? I'm like, yes. He goes, okay. Well, you're not his brother, but you could be like his brother. You're like one of him. You know, you're part of that gang. So, you know, let's, let's try it a little more like that. Let's try it where you're a little more cocky and a little more jokey and da-da-da-da-da. I was like, uh, okay. Yeah, I wasn't really prepared for that, but we'll give it a shot. And I think we did two or three takes and I think he realized pretty quick that that's not who I am as an actor. Mm. Stephen Ogg is Simon. <laughs> I mean, that's just him being Steve. Mm. And a lot of the, most of the actors I've noticed on the show are a lot like their characters. And there's they're not a, a great departure from who they are as a human uh, outside of being an actor. And, and he's like, no, 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 just go back to the way you're doing it. <laughs> so we did, and I wanted to have Gavin be, you know, multidimensional. I didn't want him to be twisting the mustache, bad guy. Mm. I wanted to have, I wanted, I wanted people to, to have sympathy for him, and that's, I think, I pulled it off, and I think they liked that. Mm. And so from that point forward, they wrote toward that. I think I, I can't. I can't verify that, but it feels like that to me because the dialogue kind of evolved around that feel of the reluctant soldier. Uh, my second episode was directed by Jeff January, who was the first AD on my first episode. And he, he does that. He, he also directed episode eight, um, eight Oh eight. No, that's Mike Satrazimus. Anyway, he worked, oh, eight, anyways, the episode is coming up. Anyway, I can't say, but he directed another episode. 809 is coming up, right? Well, it's not 809, it's another one, but anyway, regardless. Okay. And so we got to work together again, but he came up to me the first time we worked together. He said, all right, Jason, here's my notes for you. And we talked to Scott Gimple. Your note is, and, and I think if, you, if you've read any of these articles, I've talked about this before, Grumpy Dad. <laughs> you're a grumpy dad you're a grumpy dad like at the park with the kids you just want to get home and so we after every take you come up and be like grumpy your dad grumpy your dad and that's that's when we started molding gavin into what he is um mm. you, you know don't mess with him he does follow the rules and he will kill someone if you force him that's what happened with benjamin it's supposed to be richard and i don't gavin doesn't like to do the killing so that's why he has jared because Jared loves to kill people, just like Negan, and loves to beat people up and, and be violent. That's why I have him there. I finally figured it out, because I don't want to do the killing, so I bring this monster with me and let him do it. Mm. Unfortunately, he causes lots of trouble along the way as well. So, yeah, but that's I, drama. I mean, you got to have drama or nobody's going to watch it. So, yeah, and I'm, <laughs> glad you, I'm glad you said that, because, yeah, I mean, 
Austin, I, I've you know when I've had a press pass, I've gone to a lot of these Walker stalkers. They're great. Austin, Stephen Ogg, you know, you know, I had um, uh, Tim Parati who played the first Doctor in The Walking Dead, who mm-hmm. the guy who was doing. And you know, I asked him what it was like working with you know Jeffrey Dean Morgan, and he said, you know, what you it's exactly what you just said. He goes, what you see off screen is kind of the same. He's the same guy. I mean, obviously he's not this thing, but his personality, you know, yeah, sarcastic. Like those guys, like you have a fantastic sense of humor. But these guys Thanks. kind of ooze sarcasm out of their ass. And oh. to ask you to play a part like that, I don't know. I mean, you're sarcastic. You have a great sense of humor. I see it. But it's like I see what you're saying, though. Like you have to be the Nick Nolte type of grumpy kind of guy that, yeah. you know, you know, speaks. You kind of speak softly, but you do carry a big stick. And I think that you definitely have nailed this role. And I think people hate the saviors, but they, they certainly adore you. I mean, I, I, oh. I, I've heard a lot of your interviews. And mm-hmm. it's it's always, you know, we hate the saviors, but, you know, Gavin, you're one of the good bad guys. You know what I'm saying? I must hear that a thousand times. Sure. Well, I, I've heard it too. And I take it as a compliment. That, that's what it's exactly what I wanted. Yeah. And, and, you, and you, you really do hammer it home. Um, I do want to say my predictions, by the way, were flawless. Mm-hmm. I said you were going to be fantastic in The Walking Dead, which you are. <laughs> and, and I also said that you were going to be unbelievable in American Made. Not seeing the movie, sight unseen, I said this. And the movie was phenomenal. I'm going to get to that in a moment. And okay. per, per our bet, you're going to have to give me half of what you made in them. I don't know if you remember that. Man. Sorry. So I have to it's ask Christmas, you. Christmas, man. Come on. <laughs> I have to ask you. Um, so Lenny James is now going to cross over to Fear the Walking Dead. And I, t- today I was thinking of, you know, I want to ask you questions that, you know, I, I would want to hear if I was being interviewed. And how would you feel if they told you, look, we want to put Gavin in the Fear of the Walking Dead world. How would you feel about that? Because I know you'd have to move to Texas, not move to Texas, but temporarily relocate to Texas. You take on a new cast, new new people to be involved with, new actors to get used to. I mean, you're a mm-hmm. pro actor. I get that. You can adjust to anyone. How would you feel about something like that? Because Lenny James, if you read Body Language, didn't seem thrilled with it. But obviously, he's a very he's a pro to... He gets it. How would you feel about something like that, Jason? Well, for for many reasons, I would have been thrilled if that was me. Um, there's three main reasons. One, I would still be working a lot. In other words, we're done shooting Walking Dead. Fear the Walking Dead started the week after we wrapped. So I would go straight back to work. Mm. That was That would be, you know, the pragmatist reason why I would love it. Uh, a secondary reason would be that it is based out of Austin, Texas, which is a place I've always wanted to visit and is supposedly one of the coolest places in the country. Yep. And I get to hang and I have a friend of my, one of my best friends in the world lives there half the year and I'd be able to hang out with him. Mm. The third one is that the new bad guy on Fear of the Walking Dead is Ray McKinnon, who is the creator and showrunner of Rectify. Mm. And he's one of the greatest actors in America, and I'd probably get to hang out and work with him, which would be really cool. So I would love to. It's funny. As a matter of fact, when I heard about it, I wrote a an email to Scott Gimple. I said, oh, I, had, I, I didn't know that uh, Gavin was from California and moved to Texas. And he's like, ha, ha, maybe in another life. <laughs> you know, I have a feeling that you – and you've touched on this in our, both our interviews. I have a feeling you really loved your experience on Rectified. Oh, yeah. It was a game changer for me. That was a whole new world for me. Yeah. 
you know, it and we talk, yeah, and we talk about you and your wonderful, you know, role on, on The Walking Dead. But you know who else has a kind of an appeal? It's not all the time, obviously, because he's a monster of a bad guy. But mm-hmm. you know, it's the way Negan has that rapport with with Carl, you know, Chandler. It's kind of yeah. like it's almost. I, I don't want to sound cheesy here. I'm gonna sound like my mother. It's almost sweet. It's almost mm-hmm. kind, and it's like. It's too bad what's happening to Chandler's happening because I would have loved to have seen that play out. You know, we see you, the nice guy. We see, you know, Negan finally putting down those that wall. Um, you know, what is that? Uh, what you, what's your take on that, his rapport? As a fan, I know as an actor you're there, you see things and, and so forth. But what's your opinion about his rapport with Carl? Does he, does he see I, – I know he's a gym teacher in the backstory, but what, what do you think he sees in him? Well, at this point, I'm speaking purely as a fan because I I don't have privy. I'm not privy to any of those scripts or anything that's going to happen. But other than what I've seen on television, Um, yeah, my take is that he, he, you know, children are are precious. And, of course, he's never killed a kid, as far as I know, not on purpose. Mm. And, you know, he's he likes kids. He's. And, and, and yes, if, if there is a backstory, you can watch it on YouTube that's been, been I don't know if it was released on purpose or not, where he, he's a basketball coach, you know, in his former life. And he has a daughter. And um, I, I, I think I've heard people talking about it, that it must be sort of a, the same kind of deal as Morgan. You know, he had a daughter, the wife got sick and turned or something like that, and mm. he couldn't kill her. I don't know, I'm making all this up, but... Yeah, he definitely, and he respects that Carl is a badass and a leader and ballsy, especially that last little interchange they had. And he's like, yeah, take me. And he's like, you know, look at the, look at you, you know, look at big boy. Mm. He, 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 he likes it. Of course, he also knows that it, it rubs Rick the wrong way, I think, is a part of it, too. He's just a, such a, uh, he's, you know, become such a massive sociopath. Machiavellian type character that he, he, I think he respects the fact that Carl's not afraid of him. Yeah, right. And, and same, yeah, yeah. same thing with Daryl. That's what he liked about Daryl. Yeah, they had a they had a set on them that was 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 pretty steel like and, and for sure. Mm-hmm. And you know, you're a sports fan like I am. You know, I know you're big. You know, Georgia Bulldogs fan. You're a big you know yep. Atlanta Falcons fan. So sometimes mm-hmm. in sports, like with shows, we 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 love them, but we we, we criticize them, you know. And, and when when talk was coming out that there was something big happening on this, you know, mid season finale, you know, mm-hmm. we, people were throwing the names Judith around and and, and Carl. I'm like, I, and I know Carl meant his meant his end, but it's not, you know, it's, it wasn't because of Negan, you know. And I, and I was like, there's no way because of everything you just said that Negan would ever ever hurt a child because of, it's not who he is. It's not how he no. works. You know, no, I, I, don't, I just don't see that. Yeah, he's this. You know, I'm trying to get another character from you know, history, from literature that's like that. I can't think of a name right now, but yes, that's that's definitely his. I don't know if it's a weakness. It's it's a, it's a an attribute that he has. And you know what it's like? It's not maybe maybe not to this extent. It's almost, almost like the respect that Hannibal Lecter has for Clarice. It's almost like that. It's like yeah. he's a monster, but in her he sees something different, something special. It's almost like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, I would agree. Um so I, I did want to ask you, you know, and this is the the last Walking Dead thing and I really want to get into American Made. 
So okay. Rick and Negan have this huge fight, right, Jason? They have mm-hmm. this big fight. Rick gets thrown out the window and with a loaded gun proceeds to run away. Like, what <laughs> the hell was that? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I'm being a smart I don't ass. know. <laughs> I read an article about that, too. There's there's so many times when he could have shot Negan that he didn't. And I, I, yeah, I that's... Uh, I just have to kind of go, well, they want to keep the show going. That's yeah. all I can guess. I don't have an answer for that one. You know, and I'm not going to be a double – like, I there's, I love the show so much, and I'll never quit on it. I've been there from the start, and, and I'm sure I, I'm, I'm like millions. But there are some people that are so angry, Jason. There's some people oh, that want to take Scott Gimple and throw him out of a moving car. Like, yeah. at the end of the day, it's just – I mean, I hate to keep sound like, you know um, – you know, Josh, but like it's it's just a show. I mean, you watch The Talking Dead. This is not a documentary. Like, right? People are getting like furious. They're like, and, and I get I, I get that they're passionate, but I almost feel like many of them are just angry for the sake of being angry, and that's too bad because it's a really a great show. It's one person's vision or many people's mm-hmm. vision. I don't know. I think I think it's a great well, and, show, and, and they're they're deviating, making a hard left turn away from the comics. Because Carl, I don't read the comics, but I, I understand where they go. I've seen the synopsis. It, Carl was a major part of the comics. He grows up and becomes a badass and a leader. And and the whole idea behind Rick, it, that's that's the argument I will agree with. It's this The whole purpose of the show was for Rick to save his son in the world for his son. Mm. And now that his son is gone, who's he fighting for? Yeah, so that's true. I'll be curious to see where this goes because I don't know. If I did know, I couldn't tell you, but I don't even know. I don't know. Right. I know what happens in a couple of episodes in the second half. Um, a few things here and there, but not much. All right, fine, and, fine. I know you want to share them. Go ahead. You could share them. No, I can't. I can't. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> even if, like I said, even if I knew, I couldn't. But Man. I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. So I have to ask so, you this, and this will be my last question. So do you think, because that is a, you're right, it's a, it's like the Patriots game yesterday, not going for you know, the field goal or whatever, a big, you know, mm-hmm. compare sports to, to the shows. Do you think, you know, in a lot of sports decisions, coaches take a lot of the, the, the brunt of the criticism when they make oh, sure. bad Do you think Scott Gimple deserves criticism, or not criticism, but do you think he will get criticism if the show doesn't pan out like people want it to, or... You know, the way well, you know. he'll get criticism if the show falters and loses its audience, which I don't think it will. It's going to it's going to fumble around. I'll say this, and then I'll, I'll say more about Gimple. I finished my last thought. I just I, I hadn't you didn't interrupt me. I just I, I couldn't get my thoughts together. People are invested in Carl, and now he's been taken away, mm-hmm. and that pisses people off when you you make you make sacrifices and invest as a fan in that character expecting things to happen. Oh, he'll get in some tough scrapes, but to just take him out like that was really yanked the rug out from underneath a lot of people's, what they were banking on for the show. Now they're like, well, who, 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 who am I rooting for? Who am I rooting for? So that's, that sums up that thing with Gimple. Um, well, I'll say this in, in jest, but slightly serious. Um, if he does get fired, I'm not, I'm not going to worry about it too much because he'll come up with some new shows, and 
he likes me, so that'll be great. <laughs> <laughs> and you're a great actor too, so well, for thank sure. you. Yeah, but that, yeah. that that's you know, uh, so I, I'm I, I don't care one way or the other. So he'll be fine uh, if that happens. I don't see it happening. He just took over Fear the Walking Dead, and guess what? It got better when he did. Um, yeah, the season he ha- is really he, good. He's got a plan. He's got a plan. We have to let the last eight episodes play out to see what his plan is. Mm. And then if it's still a complete train wreck, you know, at the end of the season, well, the the powers that be will make their choices and the fans will make their choices. So I think right now people are just venting, letting off steam because they're they feel like they've been betrayed. They've been cheated on. You know, they they've they've made this investment. They've. They've laid their bet. It would be like if uh, uh, Christians found out uh, yesterday that Jesus was just, you know, didn't exist. Mm. That's, you know, I've invested my entire life in this. What do you mean? Mm. You know, they would be very angry. So it's that same kind of thing. It's a bit of an extreme analogy, but I think you get my point. No, I do. And it's you're well spoken on both points. And. You know, you're right. People see Carl grow up in front of in front of them, and you know it's one of these deals where you know they they learn this 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 little boy was in front of us for so many years. We see him grow up, and we mm-hmm. see him kind of you know. But I think there there was maybe some. I think there's some people that were still bitter from what happened with Glenn. You know, you see Abraham die, sure. yeah, and then you see Glenn. You know, and they were set, they were teasing Glenn, I think, a little bit with a. Uh, well, you know, they knew Glenn was coming. It's in the comic that's books. That's true. For sake. That's true. You know, and I think, yeah. but I, I'm just speaking for. I'm just playing devil's advocate here. I think they saw that. You know, the scene with the dumpster where you're not sure if he's alive. Right. Then he's, then he's right. looking at pictures of people that have been fallen victim to Lucille on the wall, the Polaroid. So it's like mm-hmm. you know they. I, I think fans are like, okay, we get it, but you're right. You're absolutely right. The, the man deserves. The final eight episodes before judgment. It's it's like judging a football game based on what happens at halftime, right? Right. So let let's let the second half play out. Let's see what mm-hmm. happens. I, I'm in total agreement with you. Um, so yeah, hundred percent right. But let's talk about American Made, okay? So sure. In the summer, I went to see this movie, and this is weird. And tell me if I sound like a weirdo. Like I watched this movie. <laughs> is it weird to say like I was so effing proud of your like? I'm like, I had this guy on my podcast. He was effing phenomenal. Like, I was oh. not expecting your, your your part to be this. Like, it was huge, I thought. Like, especially oh, like, well, the last third. Thank you. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I was really happy for you. I thought you not only did well, I thought you kicked some serious ass. Oh, thanks, man. Well, it was a lot bigger. <laughs> they cut, like, 80% of the stuff that I shot. And they did that to everybody. It was not just me. It wasn't like I was in trouble or did a bad job. They completely retooled that movie. The movie that got shown is nothing like the original script. I mean, the, the all the stuff we shot is still there. They did a few little small reshoots, but they just completely changed the arc of the story. Um, so when I was watching, I was like, oh, that scene's cut. Oh, crap, they cut that scene, too. Oh, crap, they cut that scene, too. Oh, this is still in. Good. You know? <laughs> so I'm glad to, I'm glad that, you know, from your perspective, it seemed like I did a lot, and I did a good job. So thank you. I, I enjoyed the film. I've seen it. I saw it three times. I had to go see it a lot with a lot of different people. So it was a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, and I didn't want to, you know, give it a, I don't want to give, you know, too much away right now because it is really a good movie, and I don't want to ruin everything, mm-hmm. anything, but... You know, especially when they're when they go on to tell you what happens to each character, 
Mm-hmm. That's when I was like, "Holy shit! This this is really this is more than just a, you know, uh, your I don't want to say your average, but your 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 role." And I, I thought it kind of escalated at that point. I thought, "Whoa! Now we're now we're really talking about a, a role." And I thought mm-hmm. that was phenomenal. That whole that maybe that final five to yeah. ten minutes, man, that really brought it home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And actually, I mean, the the character that I play in the movie, Bill Cooper, was a real person was the guy that got shot down over Nicaragua that blew the lid off the Iran-Contra scandal. That's a true thing. Now, how I portrayed Bill Cooper in the movie, I don't think is anywhere near what he was really like. And that was choices by the scriptwriter, the director, and myself. And the other part is and the costume design and the hair design and all that was all part of the, you know, the team. But Bill Cooper was a spook. I mean, there's, there's nothing about him. Hardly. I researched for months digging through the internet and trying to find a picture of the guy. And I think I found a picture of him, but it doesn't even have his name on it, but I think it's him. And I look nothing like him. Uh, but, he was a patriot. He was uh, Air, Air America, you know, secret uh, Air Force kind of guy, and he just wanted to promote capitalism all over the world. And um, I hope, and it, by some weird stretch of the imagination, somebody from his family hears this podcast that if you felt he was disrespected by the way that I played the character— it was unintentional because I just couldn't find any information about him. So we had to make some choices and we decided that he would be the crazy wild guy. And we just went with that because that we had, we had no information on the guy. No, I thought it was tastefully. So my my apologies tasteful. to any family members that may be upset by my performance or the portrayal of him. It was, we had, we were, we were stabbing in the dark. So mm. anyway, go ahead. How about those shorts? <laughs> <laughs> I had to ask you about those shorts. <laughs> well, this is this is there's a great story that goes with those shorts. Um, so after I got cast, uh, they uh, you all you have to go in for a fitting for your costumes, right? And this is a big budget movie, so there's lots of costumes and um, and lots of money to be spent, and they do it well. And uh, a friend of mine. Uh, a person who I ended up becoming friends with, I've worked with on a couple other projects since then, I'd never met before though, um, went in to do my fitting. And I had to come in twice, like two different days to do a fitting. And for two, three hours, we're putting on all these different clothes, taking pictures, different options, taking pictures. And all that gets sent to the director for him to make choices about what my character is going to wear. And never in any of those did I have on a pair of shorts. It was always jeans of different types, cowboy boots, boots, no sneakers. Uh, uh, but it did have on the Hawaiian flowery shirts that we did do, and the and the the eighties looking, you know, uh, what do you call them, like Izod type polo type shirts mm. and things like that. Um, fast forward to day day one on the set, 
we show up, myself, Mark McCullough, who would play Pete, the second snowbird, and then Stan and Bob, who are the the, guy, uh, the other two snowbirds, who are actual real pilots that they hired to play these parts. Uh, you notice they don't have any dialogue. They're, they're kind of like background guys, but they're real-life pilots in the real world in that they could fly the planes, and they handled themselves very well on set. Um, Doug Lyman walks up. We're all standing there. We've all got on long pants. And he just looks over and he goes, oh, no, 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 no. They, they need to be in shorts. They all need to have tans. They've been hanging out down in South America back and forth. They didn't know. And you could just see the panic on the, on the, the makeup people and the hair people and the costume people. They were literally in a panic because they had no shorts for anyone. And we're shooting in an hour. And he's like, shorts on all of them. Well, maybe not Pete, but the rest of them, shorts. And they just went and found stuff. And they came out with those short shorts. And I was like, you're kidding me. I was like, well, this is what I wore back in the 80s. I remember wearing these. And so then, of course, they had, as we got, you know, day three, day four, week five, they had more time to find costumes. And every time I come in my trailer, I'm like, these are shorter than the last pair I had on. (laughs) (laughs) Luckily, I'm not hung like a Shetland pony or we'd have had trouble. So, and then they're, they're basically, they didn't spray tan us, but they, they started painting our bodies tan. So, so that went on for a few days. And then they, they just said, go get a spray tan. We'll pay you for it. And so we, we all had to get spray tans every other week that would last about five days. And then they'd have to spray tan us again. And they would just reimburse us. It was pretty funny. It became, it became quite hilarious actually. You know, and what, my hair was a disaster. Huh? You know what made the, the outfit for me where, as if the shorts weren't enough, the tube socks had to be thrown in there as well. Oh yeah. Well, they weren't knee-high tubes, but yeah, because that's why you know you find a picture of me from the '80s. I've got on my my knee-high tube socks, my Nikes, short shorts, and a, probably a, a, a you know a crop top T-shirt with the sleeves cut off. Yeah, that, that's that was my in a, in a trucker hat. That was my '80s garb. So <laughs> that's it was pretty awesome, close. That's it. Yeah. That's a, yeah. And plus, I'm six foot one. I got really long legs, so yeah, my nickname on set was Legs. So it was pretty funny. Yeah, and I gotta say, you know, um, I love hearing that story, and I, I can listen to stories on set all day. And you know, the one th- I, I had a lot of takes from this movie. I love the cast. I thought that mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, Gleason now is in like Star Wars. He's a great actor. You obviously, oh, yeah. you obviously had a good rapport with Tom Cruise. You guys are great. His wife, Sarah Wright, is, you know, stunning. She's a great actor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a lot of great acting going on. A, lot of, a great cast. I thought I thought it was really well done. And I, I never realized what a shit show the DEA and CIA were. I mean, I, I kind of forgot. <laughs> I, I kind of forgot. I'm like, is this, like, like yeah, Barry Seal has to own it a little bit, right? So I get that. Mm-hmm. But come on. Like, and I don't think that, I get stuff is made, you know, exaggerated sometimes for movie purposes. I get it. Oh, I absolutely! I don't sense there was a lot of exaggeration here. Well, that I, I, yeah, I, I can't answer one way or the other on that. I would. Uh, Doug Lyman has said um, multiple times, "This is a fat, you know, this is a story draped across reality, but we've taken a lot of liberties." So, his father was one of the prosecutors in the Holy Ron Contra deal. You should wow. read up on that if you, if you haven't. Yeah, uh, I don't remember his name. Mr. Lyman was one of the people going after Oliver North and those guys. 
Yeah, you know. And, so he had some inside info. Yeah, you know, and I and I can't imagine what it was like to live like Barry Seal for the last six months to a year of his life. Like, oh yeah, always looking over your shoulder like that. Mm-hmm. Holy mm-hmm. cow! And and I have to believe that had some you know accuracy too because I know he was you know killed because you know because of all what was going on. But boy, I got to mm-hmm. tell you, Jason, that seems like a tough way to live life. Spoiler alert. <laughs> um, oh, I, I can't. Yeah, one of the funniest scenes is when he's in court and the judge's like, you know, you're free to go. He's like, really? Can't, can't, I can't stay here. You need to get out. Of, get out. He's like, oh man, I was hoping I'd go to jail. <laughs> well, one thing I did want to ask you, and just going back to mm-hmm. Walking Dead for one second. Um, sure. What does it take to be a series regular? Because I'm so pissed that you <laughs> that you aren't. Because it's like. Just give the guy – he's a great actor. Give him his goddamn series regular status already because I know Austin and a couple other people have it. What does it take? What does it mean? Talk to me about what that is because I, I, I think I know but I don't completely understand. Well, there are a lot of factors involved in that. Um, and some people would argue with me that I'm right on some of these and I'm wrong on some of these. But it, it, it has a lot to do with many different things. So here the nuts and bolts parts are payroll. So, for instance, uh, Stephen Ogg, nothing against the guy. Why is he a series regular? I don't know. Uh, he's a great character, but he's not on screen that much more than I am. But he is there more. And they need him handy. And he doesn't live in Atlanta. So in order to make sure that they own him for the entire season, they make him a series. Now, I'm just – I picked him out of – it could have been anybody. Okay? Yeah, I, I just picked him. Yeah. I'm not, I have nothing against Steve. Um, so, uh, they, in order to do that, they have to buy him out for the season so that they got him handy. And that's not a hundred percent true because he actually worked on another show in the midst of all this, but he had to work it all out. So he is, you know, on a regular pay for every episode. I'm not going to go into dollar amounts, but it's a good amount and they own him for the show. Uh, to put it in a blunt way, that way he's there. They've got him. They know he's there. They put him. In, they've helped him with housing. They're paying for that. They they agreed that they'll fly him back and forth so many times per year on their nickel. Anything outside of that, he's on his own nickel. And they you know they want him for publicity stills. He's available. They just say, Stephen, we need you to come in on Sunday. We're doing publicity, and he's not going to go. Well, where's how much you paying me for that? They're already paying him. So he's it's it, so what, and there's an inter- interesting. And I'll come back to that in a second. Remind me, I'll come back to the mm-hmm. uh, the pay rate. Whereas someone like me, I live here in Atlanta. I'm local. I drive to the set to go to work, and then I drive home at night to my house, or in the morning, depending on how we're shooting. And they don't. They didn't want to have me for publicity photos and all that sort of thing, so they didn't need me. So they only pay me when I'm there. Now, they may – some of the episodes that we shot, they were going to need me at like one day, off two days, need me a day, half a day, off a day, and then me for a whole day, another day, and then off a day, and that sort of thing. So they'll just pay me for the entire episode so they know I'm available in case it rains, in case the schedule changes, something gets screwed up, or you know, God forbid someone gets hurt or, as happened this year, killed on set and things get delayed. And they – that way I'm not – going out to get some other job and then they're like, Hey, we need you. And it's like, Oh, I'm busy. I took this other job. You didn't have me on the payroll. 
if they have me on hold, they're paying me, whether I'm on set or I'm not on set. And if they don't need you on set, they don't want you there. I mean, you can come, but you're just in the way. Um, so as a series regular, you're, you're just, you're part of the payroll for the entire season. So that's the nuts and bolts part of it. Now, the other part of it is, and it's going to come out sounding wrong, but it's, it depends on who you are and who your people are and how you can be. It's, it's just like a sports star who your agent is and how they can, you know, sell you, a, sell you a better deal, that sort of thing. Now I've never been in that position. I may be wrong about that. I may be talking out of my ass, but based on from the information I've been able to pick up, part of it has to do with who you are and who you're represented by and what your resume is like. Um, for instance, Cooper Andrews, who plays Jerry, wonderful guy. Mm. He lives in Los Angeles. He is not a serious regular. So every time they need him, they have to fly him out from Los Angeles. They have to put him in a hotel and drive him around. It's very expensive. And then if he wants to do some other job, they have to decide if they want to buy him off and say, no, don't do the other job. We'll pay you to not work because we might need you, but we're going to pay you just in case we need you. We may not, but that's the chance they have to take. Mm. So it gets a little bit into that whole nuts and bolts. And this is a very long answer to your question, but it's complicated. Mm. Um, that's, well, and a great that's answer. just how it works. What, the one that surprised me, and again, I have nothing against any of these actors, but when they made uh, Jadis mm. a series regular, and I was like, what is that all about? Mm. That doesn't make any sense to me at all. She's hardly in any episodes. I'm in more episodes than she is. But I don't know how that happened. If it was really good pressure from her agent and good sales or there's a whole lot more that she's going to be doing in the second half of the season or they just wanted her to be since she's a leader of a community they wanted to have her around for publicity and photos and all that sort of thing and she's a, a, an amazing person and beautiful person and has an interesting history and they just wanted her to be a part of the marketing so in order to do that they have to make them a series regular that's how that works does that answer your question it does and i'm so happy you went into detail like i See, I, I, like I told you before, you and, know, I, and some of that stuff I'm not 100 percent certain on, but I'm pretty close to it. No, and my next question, you had answered it with, with you know, in all respect, you know, the the woman who plays actress is a great actor, and mm-hmm. yeah, but it was like that was the name when you were talking. That's the name that popped in my head because I feel like I've seen you much more than I've seen her. And if you ask a lot of Walking Dead fans, and this is like I said, I'm not slighting anybody, but that mm-hmm. co- that complete story arc, like the Saviors, are a necessary story arc. The trash people, mm-hmm. the chat, trash people are questionable at best with many Walking Dead fans. But that's sure. neither, not, neither here nor there. But boy, does that seem like a complicated thing, Jason? You know that it, it, it would it would seem like something that would drive you nuts as an actor. Oh, it does. Yeah, there, there's a, a good friend of mine here in Atlanta who I just sat down and had lunch with last week because he's much more experienced than I am, and I just I wanted to ask him a few questions about things that I don't understand about the don't understand about the business. And that's what he said. You know, he's. I'm not going to mention his name, but if I told you, and you'd say, I still don't know who that is, but if I said he played that guy, and you go, oh, that guy, yeah, I see him in all kinds of stuff. <laughs> he works all the time, but he's never been a series regular. He's right on the edge of hitting that, and that's just. It comes. It comes. It can be. It can come in the form of pure luck. It can come in the form of years of work, or years of work and and a reputation 
or something to do with marketing or great representation. It's just, it can be a lot of different reasons. You look at, you know, uh, Enid, Caitlin Nathan, she's, she's a local from Atlanta. She, from the same agency I used to be with, and she got lucky and got that part because she was a good actress that fit the right bill. And now she's kind of grown up onto the show. And now, you know, they wanted her to be a bigger part of the story and to keep her around, they need to make her a series regular. And that's what they decided to do because the fans love her too. And and every show is probably different because Walking Dead is a fan-driven show as opposed to something like The Good Wife. It's just – it's a completely different – there's no conventions for those people. It's not a fan-based show. It's all about how much they need you on set and how much they need you around. Mm. Does that make sense? It does make perfect sense. And, you know, one of the things I say – and I apologize again if I'm out of line here – like. There are actors mm-hmm. I know that I will see, like, once The Walking Dead wraps for, for good, and, and we've seen, you know, the body of work unfold, I know I'm mm-hmm. going to see you again in a shitload of things. I know I'm going to see you again as an actor working, you know. Oh, I hope you're right. No, I, I know I'm right. <laughs> and my prediction record is pretty good with you so far, I'll say, I'll say so that. So far, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, I, I, I know I'm going to see you again. But there's also actors I see that I know I'll never see again. Like, I, I, I might see at a convention or something, but, and I'm not trying to slight anyone, but it's just... I don't know. In this in this podcaster's opinion, it's just my opinion that there's mm-hmm. no reason, no reason why you should not have, you know, that status of a, you know a full as a full time actor on that show. And that's that that bothers yeah. that bothers me a little bit as a fan and as somebody who has has you know, you know, tried to immerse himself in this in this universe of, of movies and television. Well, I appreciate that. I'm, I'm flattered. Thank you very much. As a local Atlanta actor hired to be on that show that just by pure luck is here in our hometown and happens to be this massively popular show to have the length of time on the show and the amount of work that I've gotten to do on that show. I am blown away and I'm just couldn't be happier. So I have no problems with how they've treated me. So, uh, I'd like to have had a bigger trailer, but honestly, we never spend any time in our trailers. So <laughs> <laughs> and I, I have a few more questions for you. We, 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 sure. You know, I, we, we start off the interview. You're like, well, I don't know. We're going to talk. We've almost hit an hour, and we've kind of kicked some ass with a lot oh of my your God. answers. Like, anyways, so a few more questions. You know, how can Negan possibly respect Eugene when he's so much like Spencer? And we know what he did to Spencer. He pretty much disembowels him. Why do you think? Yeah. Why do you think? Is, is it a show? Is he kind of feeding to this insecure guy's? you know, needs, or is it, I can't imagine, like, Negan can't like Eugene, because he likes Carl for the complete opposite reason that he, that he's leading Eugene on with. Does that make sense in a Yeah, and I have to admit, I have the same questions, and all I can say is it must be the brain power that he thinks Eugene has, (laughs) which, that's all I can say. It is it. And that maybe it, 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 gives him joy that he took one of Rick's people and turned him like he tried to do Daryl, like he thought, thinks he's going to try to do with father Gabriel. He's going to try to turn them and show Rick that his way is the better way. And I think, you know, Eugene is a win for him. So maybe that's it. And let me ask you, if you had to choose your own ending for Gavin, whether it's a death ending or maybe let's make it both an ending that that, that involved death an ending that involved living how would you write it if you had to do it? If you had to kind of piece together how how Gavin finishes his his run with Walking Dead? Oh, um, if I could wave my magic wand. Yes, if you could wave your magic wand, uh, perfect way to put it. <laughs> well, he'd be a serious regular. And... 
And whatever, after that, I don't care. No, um, <laughs> it would be one of two paths would be that after, you know, because this does not follow the comics at all. And Gavin is not a comic book character. He's a Scott Gimple character um, that he became a, a leader of sorts of the remnants of the saviors and or um, he was able to uh, come to some sort of terms with Ezekiel, but it may be too far gone for that and rebuild the kingdom with him. Um, or he, you know, he, he just becomes absorbed into whatever that next group of people is that comes out of this war. Mm. And he's a, you know, not, not the leader, but some sort of, you know, player. And he's, you know, he, he, he found a new place. Cause I think that's how he became a savior. He was with another group. He got absorbed by the saviors and figured out how the system works and says, okay, well, if I do this and do that and do this. I, I can I can live and have this life and be okay. He's a survivor. I mean, he had he's made it two years, so you know through the zombie apocalypse. So he's not an idiot. No. Um, but that would it would be something to that effect that he. But if he has to die, it would be in a, a heroic way, trying to you know do the right thing. It would be nice, um, and then of course turn into a zombie. <laughs> and they'd be killed again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Great, an- great answers on both part. I-, I-, I was hoping you were to give me like the movie Shane. You know, the end of Shane. You know, Shane. Oh back. yeah, Gavin. Yeah. Ba- Gavin Come kind back, of rides. Shane. Yeah. So that would have been kind yeah. of cool. Uh, so well, he rides. Yeah, that's it. He rides off into the sunset and goes to Texas. That's right. And starts a whole <laughs> new life. That's right. Fear the Walking Dead. Um, so yeah. this, this episode's going to air after the new year. And is there mm-hmm. anything you want to talk about in the new year, things you're looking forward to, anything that's on the horizon? Are you reading for anything? Anything you want to share would be great. Uh, I'm, I'm reading a lot. Uh, you know, um, People ask me, like, what do you do? I was like, well, I, I, I teach acting, I audition for acting, and I go to the gym. That's kind of my life right now. Um, and every now and then they let me actually do some acting. Uh, I have some theater projects that I'd like to do, if time permits, here in Atlanta, just they'll cost me money to do them. Um, I won't make anything. Um, Pilot season starts up right after Sundance Film Festival, and I should be really busy for a month and a half with auditions, hopefully. Mm. Um, I don't have any more projects coming out. All my films have come out. All of uh, And this show is all I have right now. um, I don't have anything in the pipeline. I've got... I have two short films and one feature-length film that were locally made independent projects here in Atlanta that will, if they see any light of day, will be the festival circuit, most likely. It would be fun to tour around with those if that happens. Um, But that's about it right now. I'm, I'm looking forward to... 2018 and continuing with my teaching of my my acting students and there's a lot of new projects it's interesting i sat down with my agent at the end of the year this year i sat down with my agent at the end of the year of 2016 at the end of 2016 i had auditioned 110 times wow and i booked three parts and in 
2017, I auditioned only 67 times and booked only, I booked two parts. One I couldn't do because it conflicted with The Walking Dead. And one, the other one I got on my own, not through an audition. So I really didn't book any <laughs> roles in 2017. And that, that's the actor's life. It happens like that. But the reason I had uh, 30, 43 less auditions is because I'm now auditioning for bigger roles. And now I'm, I'm, I'm competing against Bruce Dern and Sean Astin and people you've heard of. Mm. So it now comes down to someone like them turning a role down so they go down the list to the, the next best guy or the, 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 the good actor who's not as well known. And that's how a lot of people get their, their early breaks. And I have to tell you, Jason, you're one of my favorite guests. You're no bullshit. You're a straight shooter. And I, <laughs> you did an hour-plus interview with me. We dealt with a bad connection. And you were so – you're just so much fun to talk to. Like, there's times I interview, and I appreciate all my interviews because I love them all in different ways. It's just such a great thing. Like, I, I don't know. I, I, I've come to appreciate that more as I get older. Oh, well, thank you very much. It means a lot to me. And this, these are fun. You ask, you ask good questions. You don't ask the same questions that I've heard a hundred times before. So thank you. I appreciate that. And I cannot tell you how much I'm cheering for you in the new year. And I hope and, – and I see on Instagram, by the way, guys, you've got to follow him on Instagram. Jason, you want to give out your social media information for people? Yes. It's uh, uh, on Twitter and on Instagram. It's my first name, my middle initial, and my last name. My first name is spelled with a Y. It's mm. Jason W. Smith on both of those. J-A-Y-S-O-N-W Smith. Um, and on Facebook, there's a, um, a Facebook, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, uh, I, I have a personal one, but I don't give that out. But my, my, the one that everybody can see is, um, uh, it's just Jason Warner Smith on Facebook. You can find it pretty, pretty easily. Yeah, you got to stop with the Instagram. The one thing that's bothering me is your, your, scenic, your scenic shots of Georgia. It's like, I really want to, you must live in the best place on, on the planet. Like it's so like I'm so envious of where you live because you get up in the morning, you, you you do these awesome. You did them more towards the summer and the fall, obviously now. Yeah, yeah. But Jesus, do you have a lot of you know, like, are you in like? Is there a lot of land you have, or is it? No, I live in I live in a subdivision. I just got a lot of. We live in the trees. We're in the woods. Jeez. Um, it's a, Atlanta is a very wooded town, and so I just have my backyards. You know, there's a house back there. No, I'm 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 actually in. I'm in the city of Sandy Springs, which is a northern suburb of downtown Atlanta. So it's pretty. It's pretty boring, but it's pretty. <laughs> and I did see uh, – last thing I'll say, I did see you and, and I think it was your mom getting ready for yeah, Christmas. That yeah. was very uh, – hey, you, you always judge a person by how they treat their mother, and that's that's always been a big thing I, I, I've oh, always agreed well, with. You're very kind. She's a, a great lady. This is a big fan, a big time of the year for her, so we're trying to do everything right and not uh, not uh, ruffle her feathers. It's a Christmas is a big deal. Um, she um, she is social media averse, and I said, "Mom, I'm going to make a video of you. I know you don't have your hair done right, and you're not in your pretty clothes. Do you mind?" Of course, I didn't tell her I put it on the internet, <laughs> so don't tell her. She's like she's she is she is social media Amish. She'll never know. So, yeah, she is a luddite. 
<laughs> His name is Jason Warner Smith. You can find him in the second half of The Walking Dead as Gavin. He's a great actor. He's even a better person. Jason, thank you so much. You're very, very welcome, my friend. Thank you so much. I had a great time. February 25th, AMC TV. Tune in, folks. Yeah, but quite-
he is. You're in that. Oh wow. Yeah, the way wow. you. Thank yeah, you. You could tell good. Like it's so like there's people that come on screen and it's like this is not. I mean, and who am I to criticize anybody? But just as a you know, like we do naturally when we watch a show, and we love it. It's just there's you know who's going to go places and you know who you're never going to hear from again. And that's wow. that's the infuriate. And they have to know it too. They they can't be blind to that. Like if anybody who saw your scene from that from the truck can't be like, hmm, should we use him? Like, how is that even a decision? Like, I don't know. I, I'm all ready. You should up. you should get into producing and casting, my friend. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just I'm very I get very upset with stuff like that because yeah. Like, I, I when I knew when you started that I'm like I, I turned to my girlfriend. I said, Lauren, watch this. He's gonna fucking nail this. Watch this. And I didn't know how long it was for, but it's pretty yeah. clear you're gonna be talking for a long period of time. And she was like, you, you're 100 percent right. I said I. It's I don't know I, I get really revved up at stuff like that and Thanks. that's my only criticism of Scott Gimple is he's giving too many people too much airtime that probably don't and, and I'm saying this to you as you know, like I said off air off record it's, mm-hmm. it, it, to me it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't translate well on screen sometimes and I got you yeah but well, anyways that's me being a fan of yours and and, and probably an obnoxious. Well. You're so. really gonna like my next episode. That's all e- I can say. Excellent, excellent. I can, man, I can't thank you enough. Down the road, your next movie, I want you back on if you'd love it. I'd like it. We'll, we'll do it. Thank you, Jason. I appreciate it. Take care, Derek. Take care of yourself.